this Wednesday, July 4th. We will meet at a regular time at 6.30. Uh, I have, uh, let's see what they wrote down here for me to say. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll celebrate our freedom in our country as well as in Christ. Wear your red, white, and blue. And the church will be doing a service project Wednesday night before and after service. Uh, we'll be making a flag blanket for our current servicemen. And so uh, be sure and sign your name on it and let's give them some encouragement and appreciation. So uh, uh, Lindy and some others are heading that up. So you'll, you'll see signs and things to do about that Wednesday night. So come. We'll do a great time and pick of the week. We'll do big, some worship stuff and just enjoy being together. Everybody have a good weekend? Well, all three of you, I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, I always love uh, being with our brothers and sisters so much. It's always good just to be encouraged by one another and see people. And uh, When Trent made, all, uh, made the assignments about what we were preaching, he laid out this particular sermon series and so, you, you remember, right, he gave me the topic of anger. This is seven deadly sins. He gave me the topic of anger on Father's Day. And then he wanted to close out the whole series with me doing a lesson on pride. And I'm like, okay, what, what are you trying to tell me here, Trent? And then Andy leaves town when I do it. So, uh, ask him about that when he gets back. Uh, I, I'll tell you, when we looked at these things... Uh, uh, out of the out of the Proverbs, you know, of course, there are six things God hates, seven that are detestable, the wise man wrote. And the very first thing in that list, he says, are haughty eyes. Uh, and to think that you could tell about somebody, something about somebody when you look in their eyes is, is pretty amazing. But a lot of times you can. And haughty eyes, what does that mean? That, that, that boastful, that looking down upon somebody, that, that gaze that says, you're not quite where I am. And boy, I could teach you a few things, right? Pride affects all of us. It doesn't just affect people uh, outside the Lord that we're trying to convert and their pride gets in the way. Uh, as religious folks right here, we kind of run into a problem of it ourselves. And uh, there are some things that pride keeps us from. And things pride leads us to. And so uh, one of the things I just wanted to get out front real quick is that one of the things that pride does is it affects our worship. And it keeps us from expressing great joy and, and having joy. And it leads us to judging other people and how they're expressing themselves sometimes. Uh, have you ever gone into a church and you didn't really know much about that church culture and you sat behind somebody and all of a sudden they up and yelled amen and hallelujah and you didn't know what to do about that? Huh? Am I the only one that was ever that way that was uncomfortable a little bit? Or maybe your church culture was uh, different. Your church culture was all about hand clapping, raising your hands, and you went to a place that didn't do any of that and you did it for a couple of times until you realized everybody was like, who are you and what are you doing here, you know? All right? And uh, I always love to see visitors that come in and sit around Kurt. You know, we call him our Jesus man because he shouts out Jesus. All right, Kurt? Jesus. There you go. And, uh, and they don't know it. They're sitting beside him. They don't know it. And I'm like, I'm not telling them. But somewhere today, they're going to get fired up, you know. I love that. Well, just got a little video to show you about how 
Sometimes some people express joy, and sometimes there are those who just feel real free to express joy. I think you'll get the message here. Let's turn, uh, hit the lights there and show this for just a moment. There's revival in the spring, like a I'm going to steal that kid's joy. I guarantee you. Uh, and I, I saw that. I thought, you know, uh, I don't know how it fits my sermon, but I got to get it in there. It just happened to fit anyway. But I, you think about what pride does. As innocent kids, as which, by the way, is what we eventually become, right? Born again, children of God. And if we can lose that inhibition to worry about what people think about how we look or what we do and or how we worship, how much how how grace and mercy has rescued us that leads to people and people express their joy different ways and that's fine. But but the freedom to do that in a church where people can encourage each other instead of you know uh, uh, tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying we don't do that here, you know. Uh, I think we ought to be very conscious of our own pride. Because pride can find itself as a religious activity that all of a sudden gets in the way of us reaching other people for the Lord. And it gets in the way sometimes of us helping each other have the freedom to to uh, serve Christ and express ourselves in, in, in the way that God's kind of made us, you know. So we want to really we really want to watch, watch that. Let me read a few verses to you. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs six sixteen seventeen. He mentions that God hates those haughty eyes. Proverbs eight thirteen. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels, 
but wisdom is found in those who take advice. You, you show me somebody that has an argumentative spirit, and I'll show you somebody that has a problem with pride. There was a rather large man who had visited in the home of his business partner, and he was sitting in a big chair, and uh, the little boy had heard it, the, his dad and mom talking about it before this guy got over, and he heard, he heard his... Uh, Mom and, and dad talking about this guy was a self-made man. And so he, the boy goes in and talks to the man. He says, uh, uh, I wanted to see a self-made man. And the guy kind of, you know, was kind of proud and adjusted himself sitting in that big chair. And then the kid said, what did you go and make yourself like that for? <laughs> well, you know, uh, sometimes kids have a way of humbling you. And when you think about pride, one of the hardest things to do is to look at ourselves. We tend to want to identify it in everyone else. It affects our worship. It affects our work. And it affects our willingness to serve. Remember in James, he said God opposes the proud. But he gives what? Grace to the humble. I don't know about you. I want in on the grace side of things. I don't want to be a part of something that God is opposing. I want to be where God is giving. And so uh, there's always that need to maybe double check my pride. I know we run into a lot of different proudful people in life doing a variety of things. And uh, uh, not only in this country, but in other countries. And uh, Randy was sharing, had shared a story with me one time about, uh, come on up Randy, about someone that he had had an encounter with. On the mission field, Randy did the uh, work in the uh, in Siberia, uh, and you gotta love the lost to go to Siberia because I mean, you know, I don't know, that's cold to me. But uh, uh, and then later on, after years, went back to Kazakhstan and uh, and had had a little uh, had a little run there with with some folks that had some pride. So, Randy, why don't you share about that? Would you? Um, in 1994. Sandra and I took four of our kids. At that time, we only had four. Now we have seven. But um, we uh, took four of our kids to Tom, Siberia. And uh, we planted a church there. And a young lady by the name of Luda, uh, she became a Christian. She was in college. She was in the university there. And um, I think, if I remember right, I think Amber was the one who shared the gospel with her to begin with. And so, uh, so anyway... Um, everything was going good until all of a sudden Luda came to, uh, to the church and she said, Randy, she said, my grandfather has come here from Ahmadi, Kazakhstan, and he's going to get you kicked out of the country. And if he can't get you kicked out, he's going to kill you. Uh, and, and I mean, most of the time you don't get death threats all the time. And so and it kind of worried me a little bit. And so the, <clears throat> so he couldn't get me kicked out of the country because I was, Teaching, believe it or not, I was teaching English in Siberia, okay, and with a southern accent. And so, you know, which I know that's the holy accent uh, for everyone here. But uh, but anyway, so I was, so this guy comes and and uh, he went to the officials and he couldn't get he couldn't get me kicked out. Uh, but the police told him, said, look, he's under protection from the uh, University of Tomsk, which was the second largest uh, university of Russia. And they said, we can't do anything, but whatever you do is your deal. And that was it. 
And so he sent word to me that he said, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill all those Christians that are meeting with you. And so I sent word back <laughs> and I said, I need to meet with you. I said, because, first of all, uh, these Christians, they haven't done anything to you and, and uh, we need to sit down and talk. And so I set up a meeting with him. And, of course, I had a translator. And my translator, uh, I love him to death, Misha Shakurov. So he goes with me. And, and uh, so we go. And uh, this guy, we shake hands. And uh, he was actually he's about my age now. OK, maybe 65 at, at that time. But he had this big, strong handshake. He looked me square in the eyes uh, and uh, with hate. I'm, I'm talking absolute hate. And so, um, uh, uh, and so he, he stood up, he shook my hand, he sat down, and right there at his feet was a gun. And uh, he said, uh, this is the deal, basically. He said, all you have to do to live and walk out of this place is tell my uh, granddaughter that there is no God. That's all you got to do. You can go home, you can pack your stuff up, and you can leave Russia. And I said, well, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, give me some wisdom about how to uh, work with this because the guy's got a gun and I don't have one. Well, actually, I did. I had the sword, (laughs) you know. And so I said, well, let me just ask you a question. I said, what would you like? uh, I said, how do you how do you feel about a man who lies to get out of trouble? And uh, he said, that's not much of a man. I said, I agree. I said, integrity is, is something we all need, right? And he goes, yes. And I said, so if I lie to you and say there is no God just to get out of trouble, I wouldn't be much of a man, would I? And he said, no. I said, so I'm not going to lie. I said, there is a God. I said, you can take that gun and you can shoot me if you want to, but it will not change the fact that there is a God in heaven and that he had a son who died on the cross for you and that he was buried and he was resurrected on the third day, whether you believe it or not, and shoot me dead until whatever. But that is the honest truth. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, <clears throat> my translator, he was a little, he was a little timid about translating all this, <laughs> but uh, he did it anyway. And so, um, and so I just asked him, I said, why do you not believe in God? And it's too long of a story to find out why he didn't believe in God, but it was, it was, it was a terrible story about how things had happened to him. And so when he finished his story, I told him, I said, hey, listen, I said, I've been listening to you for actually four hours. I listened to him for four hours tell his story. And, uh, somewhere in between that four hours of me asking him questions about stuff, the guy got to liking me. Okay. You know, he, he really did. I, you, you, you know, you can tell in a conversation when somebody gets to where they like you. And so he wanted to kill me, but he wanted, uh, but he kind of liked me as he's going to shoot me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, but anyway, I said, well, look, I've been listening to you for four hours. I said, uh, you, we've come to this time and this place. Uh, and I believe it's for a reason that, that you need to hear the good news of the gospel of God's grace. You need to hear the good news of Jesus. And before you shoot me, if you're going to shoot me, it's only right for you to listen. So I told him. And uh, and so I told him about God. And at the end of it, this is what he said. He said, so what is your answer? 
And I said, what do you mean? What's my answer? He said, are you going to tell my granddaughter there is no God? I said, I told you that to very begin with. I said, there is a God. Whether you shoot me or not, there is a God. And I said, this conversation is finished. I gave him a Bible. I said, if you shoot me, if you'll take this Bible and read it, God will forgive you and he'll lead you into a relationship with him. I said, but I'm done. It's midnight and I'm going home. I said, if you shoot me, then I'm going to go home and be with the Lord. If not, I'm going to go home uh, to my house and I'm going to get in bed. Obviously, he didn't shoot me because <laughs> I'm standing right here. Um, give me till the second half. All right. <clears throat> so the next day, this guy packs up his stuff and leaves town. He just left. I mean, he was so full of pride. He... Uh, on things, I, I think he, I think he just, he had to leave because he had told everybody he was going to kill an American, that he was going to, he was going to get this thing fixed about that there is no God, and so he just left. I was praising God he left, okay, um, and everything. Uh, about 10 years later, we moved to Kazakhstan with my family, Sandra and I and our kids. Uh, we, we moved there and we planted another church. Luda, who was uh, his granddaughter, moved from Tomp, Siberia to Almaty, Kazakhstan to be with us, to be a teacher for my children, for Crystal and Austin and, and Carrie. And so uh, she moved there to be a teacher. Her grandfather uh, uh, didn't know that, of course, and so uh, he comes to visit her. And so Luda called me and said, Randy, um, my grandfather is is coming to Almaty. <laughs> and I said, "Is he coming to kill me again?" And uh, she goes, "She goes, no, he doesn't even know I'm there." And so, uh, uh, with you. And so I said, "Okay." And so he comes and he stays two or three days. He started. He met Crystal and fell in love with Crystal. I mean, who couldn't fall in love with Crystal? He met he met Austin and fell in love with Austin. He met Carrie and fell in love with her. And and so. Um, I went down to the apartment after about three days of being there, and I said, um, <clears throat> and Luda said, I want to introduce you uh, to Randy. And uh, so the last time I'd seen him was about 10 years ago. I had a big brand, uh, black beard, you know, black hair. Uh, at that time, now, it was like now, <laughs> you know, it was white, no beard and stuff. And so he didn't recognize who I was. And so I started talking to him, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, I'm from Kazakhstan, and I was a uh, in the World War." And I said, "Yeah, I know." And he goes, "Oh, because uh, this guy was a national decorated hero from Kazakhstan." Okay, I mean the guy had killed all kinds of people. All right, that's the reason I was sort of afraid. Um, <clears throat> but um, and so uh, he says, "Oh, so you've seen the monuments?" I said, "No." So you've read the papers? No. And he said. So how do you know about me? And uh, I said, because I heard your story back in 1994 or 95 in Tomp, Siberia, in Luda's apartment. And his eyes got big as saucers. And he stood up, okay? He stood up and he reached out his hand just like this, grabbed my hand, shook it like that. And he said, I wasn't going to kill you. I said, well, you, I said, well, you had me fooled. <laughs> I said, that was a big old gun. And, uh, you were pretty mad. He said, oh, he said, I wasn't going to kill you. And I said, well, I, I was afraid you wasn't. Then this is what he said. 
I said, and then I asked him, I said, well, did you ever read the Bible I gave you? And he said, yes, I have. He said, I've read it through all the way and a couple of times I've read through. And I said, well, are you a believer? And he said, I believe more than I do, but um, no, not completely. And then he said, but this is what I believe. He said, my daughter, my granddaughter, she's the best granddaughter that I have. They had like 12 or 14 grandkids. And he said, she's the very best granddaughter I have. And she does this, she does that. And then he says, and I, tr- I attribute it to your God. And then he said, and she has two brothers. And they both have become Christians. And they're the best two young men that I know. And I attribute it to your God. And so he humbled himself out. And, uh, and uh, I don't know. If uh, I don't know if he ever became a, a true believer or not before he died, but I will tell you this. Um, God opposes the proud, but he does give grace to the humble, and I do believe that he humbled himself. Thank you, Randy, for sharing. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things I thought about that is, Sometimes you tend to want to give up on people, uh, your daughters and granddaughters. You have a dad or a grandfather or someone that you love, and they're prideful. But when you live your life out loud and on purpose in front of them for God, it has a way of breaking down the walls of pride. So pride is something that people have to overcome inside themselves but it's also something that, that a part of the working of that, that God will use you and your godly life and the influences of your family to help break down pride and bring people to where they need to be. Pride basically is uh, us taking God's place. Pride is what happened in the garden. And when Eve was there in that situation, she had the same thing that we have in us on the pride side. She basically made self-fulfillment as her goal. You remember the temptation, you can be like God, you can have this beautiful thing you're looking for, you can have knowledge, you can have... And so self-fulfillment became her goal in her sin. And that's what pride does to us. Pride is I'm taking care of myself. I'm fulfilling myself. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to. I can't tell you how many times I hear that statement. I deserve to have things. And that, matter of fact, that attitude is so prevalent in our culture at this time. Everybody owes me something. Either from history or from my mistakes or from the mistakes of my parents that I ought to have a better shot at this. And, and all of a sudden it's like I, I have a right to be fulfilled. And that's pride speaking. We don't have any right to be fulfilled. We're not here to fulfill ourselves. God made us as his people to fulfill his purpose in life. We're here to give God glory in everything we do. Pride takes the glory. Humility gives the glory to God. And you know what? You might as well quit trying to be God because trying to be God will wear you out. 
And the, the attitude that somehow or another I can look at somebody else's life and I can decide what is best for them based on my superior knowledge or what, it's just an arrogance that is, so exists in our world today and keeps people from seeing what they need to see about God. Luke chapter 18. Jesus told a parable. And he said this, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. You got two men, you got two prayers, you got two different outcomes here. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. By the way, before we get into those things, when it says he's standing by himself, actually in the Greek it says he took his stand. It's the idea of I went out and I took a stand where everybody can see me. I want to be at this place where everybody's looking. That's behind the word there. So he says, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He glanced over and saw that guy. I fast twice a week. And by the way, they normally did it on Tuesday and Thursday because that was the market day and everybody would be in town to see them. Had an audience. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. And in some versions it says a sinner. It literally says in the Greek, the sinner. It's got the definite article, the sinner. I'm I'm the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, haughty eyes are focused on their self. Haughty eyes are critical of others. Haughty eyes are blind to their own sin. Humble eyes have a whole different viewpoint. Humble eyes are seen, well, it's seen in the song we sing. Remember the old song? When I survey, go ahead and sing it. The wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory survey the cross the humble eyes are in the old spiritual song were you there when they crucified the Lord were you there when they crucified my Lord it causes me to remember tremble 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 
The humility looks at God and views God and views the cross in, in a holy, uplifting way. They exalt God. They don't exalt themselves. Pride exalts yourself. Humility exalts God and takes a view at the cross. Pride takes a view of himself. And look, it's something we all deal with at one time or another. You might remember in the book of Matthew where he tells to to be careful. Be careful how you give. Not in front of everybody like the Pharisees do and the hypocrites do. You don't give like that. Matter of fact, in that whole context there of Matthew 6, he, he lists three things. He says prayer, fasting, and giving. Those three things are the Pharisees always say, look at me, how I'm giving. Look at me, how I'm fasting. Look at me and how I'm praying. Pride says those kinds of things. Humility does it in the closet. Humility has been on bending knee. Humility is saying, how can I serve? Not who can serve me. Look. Every one of us battle it. None of us escape this thing of trying to overcome pride. But anything that God is opposed to, I really don't want to be a part of. Now, we're going to battle it. We live in a broken world, right? And we're broken. Oh, sin came into the world and it caused a lot of things. Look, every time, every time you're out working in your yard and a thorn gets you, think of Satan. That's why sin entered the world. The weeds, the thistles, those things grew because sin entered the world. Brokenness entered the world. And we're a part of that. And it affects us. We're not guilty of past sins of other people. Ezekiel says, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. We're not guilty because of our mom and dad's sin, but we're impacted by Adam's sin. And it put us in this broken world, which we all of a sudden now defy our own nature so often. And we can have a lot of sins and we can come to the Lord and, and get forgiveness and find grace. But, uh, and those sins will go rebuked, even if we get involved in them afterwards. Someone commits sexual immorality or adultery or drunkenness and, and all of a sudden that gets rebuked and that gets, uh, that gets no, noticed and that gets, let's get, let's get over that. But it seems like we can sit around with our pride and it kind of goes under the radar of really getting challenged too much. So we're really going to have to challenge ourselves to make sure that when we're approaching people, that we have a heart that says, God did something for me and he, he can do something for you too. Not the idea that, hey, look, I've got a bunch of truths you don't have. And if you'll just listen to me, I can line you out. You see, legalism and pride go hand in hand. Legalism and pride says this. My knowledge is better than yours. It's more adequate. So come on down to my place and I'll show you the better way to follow. That's what pride does. That's what legalism does. That's what the Pharisees did. 
And it's not what we're about. As God's people, we're about acknowledging our brokenness and our need for God's grace. And when we see that and desperately understand the gospel is the answer to that, then we have confidence and we have, and we have excitement and enthusiasm, not because of anything we've done, but because we've been rescued, we want to see somebody else get rescued. And so the sharing of the gospel evangelism takes place out of broken hearts and people who understand in humility that they're falling before our God. Don't give up on people you consider prideful. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know the things they battle. You do know the answer, though. Most of you know the story of my father. And he went to church all of his life, but he never became a Christian until he was 64 years old. And I prayed for him a lot. And and it was a great honor all of a sudden when I got a phone call from a buddy of his that said, Hey, Ray said he thought next time you come up he was going to be baptized. And I said, Well, I'll be right up, you know. And I got my old orange truck and I drove to Arkansas. And when I baptized him, I said, You know who's looking down? My grandpa had been gone a while with the Lord. I said, he's, he's proud of you. And I baptized my dad, which was a great, great honor. And the, his hunting buddies had gotten there. They were all sitting on the front row. And then my mom. So he goes by and he shakes each one of their hands. And we're not a, we don't have a lot of emotional expressions in my family. So he's going through. He's shaking hands. He's shaking hands. He comes to my mom. He shakes her hand too. Yeah. <laughs> But I'll never forget thinking, don't ever give up on people. God's power is greater than their pride. He can prick their hearts. And, uh, and you, keep, you and I keep creating opportunities for that to happen. And that's how pride is overcome. Because when someone recognizes their sinfulness, then humility is the natural response. And like the tax collector, he has one prayer. Mercy. Have mercy. And he's the one that went home being made right with God. And you know what? You get to go home that way too. If you've not named the name of Jesus, you can walk out of here because of your acceptance of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. You walk out of here today just like he went home justified. You can go home made right with God. You can put Jesus on as your Lord. You can be baptized into Christ and you can go home made right with God. I can't think of a better way to go home. And somehow or another, pride's gotten in your way of learning and growing, and and it's because it does stunt spiritual growth. And then, just for our brothers and sisters, we can get by that too. You know what? We can just lay down our pride. 
That's what our, basically, that's what our imitation is all about anyway, right? It's us helping each other try to be more like Jesus than we were before. So don't let pride stand in your way. Follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God opposes the proud, but gives, but gives, but gives grace to the humble. Why don't you get in on some of that grace? Let's stand and let's sing a song.